This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Inujia Dean. Today is Wednesday, October 13th. Coming up, the killing of Alonzo Brooks in rural Kansas has gone unsolved for 17 years. Federal investigators are now taking a fresh look at the circumstances surrounding his death. And one of the things that I think struck all of us is there was a lot of activity, but not much coordination. Can new technology help with old leads and finally bring the Brooks family some closure? Plus, health experts say kids can celebrate Halloween this year, but they should stick to outdoor activities. But first, Jackson County Prosecutor Jean Peters Baker made news when she announced earlier this year that she thought a man imprisoned for 40 years was innocent. Since then, the case of Kevin Strickland has gained national attention and continues to drag out in court. Baker spoke about Strickland's case with KCUR's Steve Kraske on Up to Date yesterday. Gene, good morning. Always nice to have you on the show. Good morning, Steve. Let's turn to perhaps the most high-profile case you're involved with, Gene, and that's the one involving Kevin Strickland, who's been in prison for more than 40 years for a crime that you believe he did not commit. He just told uh, CBS News uh, the other day that he's losing faith in the criminal justice system. I can't help but wonder, are you? Oh, um, <laughs> well, it is incidents like this that can sh- can shake your your trust mm-hmm. um, in the system. They can shake it. But all I've ever wanted on this case was a fair forum. Just uh, first of all, a forum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I first started looking at this case um, and cases like it, and I, I'm not going to go into the merits of, of Kevin Strickland's case, by the way, because I, I now have a judge in a courtroom. And of course, I want to litigate it there. Sure. But generally, regarding these types of cases, you know, we have this conviction integrity unit, and all I wanted was a pathway to a courtroom so that I could look at cases that perhaps caused us great concern about whether or not someone was actually innocent of their crime. Mm -hmm. And now we have that. And that was given to us, by the way, by a overwhelmingly Republican-led legislature and a conservative Republican governor. They gave that to me, Mm -hmm. um, to all prosecutors across the state. So the fact that we're in, you know, this kind of, uh, well, it seems like quite a battle. (laughs) Right. It It was them that decided, you know what, prosecutors need this. Prosecutors need to, they need to have a pathway to take a look at this. And, um, so they too recognize the system is not perfect. And when the system is imperfect, perhaps having a pathway to correct it actually does rebuild some of that Mm -hmm. trust in the system. You know, Gene, without going into the evidence of this case, as we sit here and talk today, how confident are you that Kevin Strickland one day will go free? Because he told CBS again the other day that he's worried now that he's going to die in prison. Well, I think that I don't want anyone to feel like I'm pressuring them to make decisions on this case. I really, truly do want to litigate it in a courtroom. I believe I have the evidence to do that. I feel confident about that. Now I know I have a hearing date of November the 8th. You know, I I frequently feel confident, Steve, about the cases that I bring. So that's, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, give you some some false confidence because um, I take my time. Um, I really try and analyze evidence. And um, so when I stand before a judge, while they don't always agree with me, most of the time they do because Mm -hmm. I've been doing this for well over 20 years. So it's not uncommon for me to re-review 
old cases and, frankly, fresh and hot cases. So, um, you know, every Friday morning we have something called Homicide Committee Review. <laughs> and um, our morning is filled with reviewing homicides. Mm-hmm. So it's what we're good at. We know how to do it. You mentioned that the next step in this case is this November 8th hearing. I believe this is uh, what's referred to as an evidentiary hearing, Gene. What's going to happen during that meeting? And this won't be a a hearing in which Strickland will be uh, deemed innocent and perhaps released. I think this is a preliminary step to that. No, I don't think so, Steve. I think it is it is an evidentiary hearing. It is not a trial. So if people are hoping to come in and see some dramatic new evidence, they're probably going to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. A lot of this is on a trial transcript from well over 40 years ago and and um, other evidence that has come together in the case. So it, it will be that, an evidentiary hearing. And I believe um, November the 8th will, and perhaps, uh, you know, it will take a few days after the 8th, uh, to roll through um, everything that we have and for a judge to render a decision. Based on, he he will make a final ruling on the case at that point, maybe a few days after the 8th, Gene, is, is what you're saying? You know, I'm I'm making some presumptions okay. about the win. Okay. But um, November the 8th is our next new day. And I know I've had to say this before. We've had, we've had some false starts. Um, but... I believe November the 8th is is our day now, a day where we get to go forward and and present our evidence in a courtroom to a judge and see what he thinks. You know, earlier this month, the Missouri Supreme Court disqualified all the judges in Jackson County from hearing this case. This was the result of a a request from Attorney General Eric Schmidt, who was opposing Mr. Strickland's release. What did you make of that ruling? Because the November 8th evidentiary hearing will be held, uh, will be overseen by a judge outside of Jackson County. You know, from the very beginning of um, the review of this case and cases like Mr. Strickland's. All I ever wanted was give me an impartial judge. Give me a courtroom and an impartial judge. That's all we need. We don't need more than that. We just need an impartial judge. And while I, I do not know this judge, I, I expect that's what we got. We, mm-hmm. we got an impartial judge um, that will, <clears throat> will hear this evidence and, and give us a fair shake. So I'm just grateful that we got the hearing set and so that we have another date to work toward and um, where we can finally get to this because yeah. it's, um, it's been a long, long, long time. And, um, and I, I don't mean to be dismissive of, you know, of you to talk about this case. I just want to be very cautious that I'm right. litigating it in any place but a courtroom. But I do want to say I, I, I'm mindful of, of Mr. Strickland. It, it does weigh on me, you know, how difficult it is for him. Mm-hmm. I, honestly, I, I, I can only only imagine what that would be like. Okay. That's Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters-Baker. Gene, always appreciate the time. Thanks so much, okay? Thank you, Steve. You bet. Bye-bye. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske speaking to Jackson County Prosecutor Gene Peters-Baker on Up to Date. And now, some headlines. First Lady Jill Biden was in Kansas City, Kansas yesterday. She joined a roundtable at El Centro Academy with Small Business Administration Director Isabella Guzman. There, they heard from Latino community members who shared their accomplishments in education and business. Biden told University of Kansas aerospace engineering student Olivia Caudillo that she could inspire more Latinas to study science. 
you have to mentor other young women. I mean, it's critical that we get more young women like you into the field. Biden's visit was her second out of three stops on a Hispanic Heritage Month tour of the U.S. Doctors at Children's Mercy Hospital say pediatric COVID-19 case numbers and hospitalizations are declining. Infectious Disease Director Angela Myers said federal health guidance allows children to take part in Halloween activities, but she recommends people keep events outdoors. Based on all the data we have and knowing that really the risk of getting infected when you're outside is very, very low, that um, kids, you know, should go out and do their trick-or-treating and get that sack full of candy with mom and dad. While hospitalizations are down, Myers stressed that masking and vaccinating children against COVID are still important. Vaccines are currently available for children over the age of 12. A vaccine for younger children is likely to be approved by early November. We'll be back after a word from our sponsors. At UMB Private Wealth Management, a part of UMB Bank, your story is our focus. UMB works closely with you to tailor a plan that meets your goals through every stage of life and changing economic climates. UMB's customized financial planning services and resources help you accumulate, preserve, and protect wealth, giving you peace of mind about your future. UMB, everything we do starts with you, from our high-touch service to our robust suite of wealth management products. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. It's been 17 years since Alonzo Brooks died in Lacine, Kansas, about an hour south of Kansas City, and six months since the FBI reclassified his death as a homicide. Despite a hefty reward and an Unsolved Mysteries episode about him, there's still no closure for Brooks' family. KCUR's Luke Martin reports. There's not a day goes by when Maria Ramirez doesn't think about her son, Alonzo. Little things, I, I go sit outside and it just could be the wind. I think that's him messing with my hair. Brooks lived with his mom in Gardner in 2004 and had gone with friends to a house party in Lacine, but he never came home. In the days after he vanished, authorities from Lynn County, the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, and the FBI got involved. A month passed before his family found his body in Middle Creek, just east of Lacine, and about 650 feet from the party house. The creek is calm now, but was swollen with rainwater that May. Brooks' aunt, Angela Cox, was there. When the family found him and saw what he looked like, we knew that there was foul play. Investigators say Brooks' body had been tangled in branches and submerged until the water receded and his body was revealed. What they haven't figured out is how he ended up in the creek in the first place. Cox and Ramirez think race played a part. The 23-year-old was Latino and African-American. But 15 years later, the reboot of a mystery documentary series focused new attention on Brooks' case. Yeah, I first heard about it when Unsolved Mysteries made an inquiry uh, of our office. That's Stephen McAllister, who is largely responsible for reopening the case when he was the U.S. District Attorney for Kansas. McAllister now teaches law at the University of Kansas, but says that inquiry spurred him to take a look. And one of the things that I think struck all of us is there was a lot of activity 
but not much coordination. There were other issues, too. Namely, the coroner who did Brooks' autopsy, Dr. Eric Mitchell, said he couldn't determine the cause of death. Recently, defense attorneys have questioned how Mitchell handled hundreds of cases, most from before coming to Kansas. An Associated Press story from 1993 says Mitchell routinely removed organs from corpses without the consent of family, and he improperly stored body parts in his office. Even without that, Brooks' death was a complicated investigation for any agency. For all the interviewing of the kids, it may be that you had an actual killer at the end of the night with not many people around. And so we've got a code of silence among a very small group that has not been broken all these years. After McAllister picked the case up in 2019, a $100,000 reward was offered for information leading to a conviction. In July 2020, the FBI exhumed Brooks' body and did a second autopsy. Last April, his death was reclassified as a homicide. The FBI's lead agent, Lena Romana, told me that reopening is a chance to see if new technology can turn up any old clues. Romana wouldn't say what progress she's made over the last year, but says the case is still a priority. And it's not just police who are taking a methodical approach. Josh Pratt is a documentary editor from Paola, Kansas, who has investigated Brooks' death for years. I think that for the longest time, Alonzo Brooks, he was just another black man who uh, had died or disappeared. In 2004, he explains, the country wasn't thinking as much about the criminal justice system. But by 2019, the deaths of Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, and Michael Brown had sparked a new movement. A lot of other things lined up for Alonzo's case to go on a national level at the time. All the extra attention has worn on Brooks' mother, Maria Ramirez, who says the stress led to her recent cancer diagnosis. But she's also just glad the case is getting attention, keeping her son's memory alive. I got this feeling that it's going to come out, and I'm not giving up hope. It's eating at that, those people who ever did it to my son. And I know their life is not good. Until an answer is found, Ramirez will continue to wait. She urges anyone who might know anything to speak with the FBI. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Luke Martin. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Lisa Rodriguez. You can read Luke's story about Alonzo Brooks on KCUR.org. If you get your news on the radio, you may have noticed our signal was offline because of some transmitter issues. You can always listen on our website, on your smart speaker, or right here. Tomorrow, we'll see how refugees in Afghanistan are settling down in Kansas City. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon. Thank you.